0: Welcome back to another College Hoops Mania podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and we're back today with another episode. It was a huge weekend in college basketball. There's a lot to cover. We had the net rankings come out today. We had new NCAA tournament news. So let's get right to it, because we have a lot to get over. First off, I'm going to tell you guys that the NCAA tournament is going to be held in Indianapolis. That was just announced Monday morning. Uh, January 4th, I'm recording this January 4th, around 1 o'clock. And yeah, the NCAA tournament to be held in Indianapolis. Um, The sites that all the games will be played at, it will be played at IUPUI. So the Farmers Coliseum, it will be played at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, where the Pacers play. It will be played at Macarena, where Purdue is at. It will be played at Assembly Hall, Indiana University. Lucas Oil and Hinkle Fieldhouse, home to Butler. So yeah, big news, NCAA tournament officially moved to Indianapolis. This was kind of expected already, but now it's official. They're still determining if fans will be able to go or not. I don't expect to find that out for a little while still. Kind of depends on how, how fast like the vaccine goes out. I think that'll have a big impact on if fans will be able to go to the tournament or not. As of now, this, uh, Selection Sunday is still planned on occurring on March 14th. And the final four is still planning on occurring April 3rd and 5th. All the other dates are still to be determined. I expect that you know the traditional Thursday, Friday of the first round games tend to be pushed back a little bit because they're going to bring people in and they're going to be testing everybody. So I think. It's not official, but I think everything will get pushed back a couple days. and then So the first week might be a little different, but then from there out it'll be the same. They don't have to wait as long to play in between games because there's no travel. So, so there's that. Anyways, I just think this is awesome for Indiana because basketball is honestly born in Indiana. It's just a huge part of the state in general. So this is really awesome for the state of Indiana as basketball is a huge part of that state. Next up. Monday morning, also, the net rankings were released, which are the net rankings, if you guys don't know, are pretty much the rankings that the NCAA Tournament Committee uses to basically group teams together. They have, like, so that, basically so that they can value each win. They have their Quadrant 1, Quadrant 2, Quadrant 3, Quadrant 4. So basically, like, how it is is a 1 through 30 in the, in the rankings. If you beat a team that's ranked 1 through 30 at home, it's a Quadrant 1 win if you beat a team... One through 50 on a neutral court, it's a quadrant one win. If you beat a team one through 75 on the road, it's a quadrant one win. So basically it values playing away from home, winning away from home. And it'll be interesting to see how the committee values these quadrants. Maybe they'll push them out the window a little bit more this year because there aren't fans, so road wins aren't near as impressive as as they've been in years past. But going over the net rankings from the first look, uh, five Big Ten teams in the top 25, five SEC teams in the top 25, three in the Big 12, three in the Pac-12, and two in the ACC. So it's a little surprising because the Big Ten and the Big 12, in most people's opinions, are the best two conferences in college basketball. That's my opinion. I don't think it's close. And the Big 12 had only three in the top 25. SEC had five. So that was interesting to me. It was also interesting to me that the ACC only had two. The ACC is definitely down in terms of where it normally is, but two in the top 25 is still pretty weak, and those two were Syracuse and Clemson. It wasn't Florida State, it wasn't Virginia, it wasn't Duke. In fact, this is probably the craziest of them all. Duke is 115th in the opening net rankings. Michigan State's 119th, so those two are both pretty crazy. Take these with a grain of salt. They'll change a lot throughout the year. They're also... I, who knows how much the committee will look at these this year they might go more off of eye test more than ever because of these rankings being a little skewed due to home court not being the same the top five is gonzaga baylor tennessee illinois villanova so not too many issues there i mean that's it's not i mean it top five can go a lot of different ways but that's a that's a standard top five that you can't really argue with it gets a little weird down the stretch like i said with duke all the way 115 florida state's like 61 i believe There's some weird ones. Kansas is outside of the top 30. Yeah, so, I mean, take these with a grain of salt. They'll change a lot. So, But, yeah, just the opening net rankings were released, so it's got something you got to talk about. Okay, let's get into the weekend results now. Dig into those because there were a lot of big games to talk about. First off, I'm going to talk about, in my opinion, what was the most impressive and most uh, dominant performance of the whole weekend, and that was Texas winning in the fog, 84-59. They dominated Kansas, and if you watch this game, Texas just looked absolutely amazing on both sides of the ball. Texas is now fourth in the AP poll this week. It was the worst home defeat under Bill Self in his tenure. But dissecting this game and takeaways from the game, first of all, Texas had the ability and did make open threes. Kansas struggled with that a little bit more than Texas. And Kai Jones for Texas, number 22, that comes off the bench, He plays a four, more of a stretch four. He is really, really good. And Texas has two really good fours. Greg Brown, the the five-star freshman, and Kai Jones. Both look like first-round picks. Now, I don't know. Kai Jones puts it on the ground. He can score inside. He's really, really long. He's really good defensively. He can switch on. He basically can guard smaller guards, which makes him more valuable. And then looking at Texas defensively as a whole, they are they looked really, really good defensively. They're super versatile. I like that they have Jericho Sims is a true five, but he's quick enough that he can guard smaller guards. So if he gets switched off in a in a ball screen, I mean he can stay in front of people and he also has he has the rim protecting ability, which makes him very really valuable. But if they take him out of the game and use Kai Jones and Greg Brown as their two biggest guys, that's okay too, because both of those guys are very versatile, can guard bigger guys, can guard can guard smaller guys. And then Texas is backcourt. Their guards get up in you. They make you uncomfortable. They get in passing lanes. Texas looked really good defensively. They kept Kansas in front, and they closed out on shooters very well. So Texas looked great on that end of the floor. And then Texas offensively, I mean, their guards got in the lane at will. They they made a lot of threes, but they made a lot of threes from inside-out threes. They got a lot of paint touches, kicked out to shooters. So, I mean, that's not really fluky. They were getting good looks, and they were knocking them down. Texas just looked phenomenal on both ends of the floor. And that, in my opinion, was the most impressive win of the weekend. Next up, next game to cover, Alabama upsets Tennessee and Knoxville 71-63. This was the biggest upset of the weekend, in my opinion. I viewed Tennessee as the number three team in the country going into this game. My opinion really hasn't changed a whole lot after that game, although, I mean, I I might knock them down a couple spots, but I still think Tennessee's a really good team. But you have to give credit where credit is due, in Alabama played a heck of a game. Tennessee would make runs at them, and Alabama would make big shots. A lot of times it was big threes to kind of uh, slow the Tennessee run down. Uh, Javon Quinterly for Alabama in the second half especially looked really good. He was get, he was carving up the Tennessee defense off the bounce. He was getting in the lane. He scored, but he was also being a playmaker for them. Javon Quinterly looked really good. He was a former five-star who committed to Villanova. Didn't have a good go at Villanova, didn't play a lot, transferred Alabama, so seeing him look like that on a big stage was encouraging to see. But Alabama is a really athletic team. That will be right up there at the top of the SEC. I still think Tennessee is clearly the team to beat in the SEC. I don't think anybody's too close to them still. I think Alabama, I think LSU, I think Florida, I think Missouri are all in a bunch. I still think uh, Arkansas is too, although no Justin Smith for Arkansas hurts them a lot, but... It's kind of a mess of teams right there. The SEC is looking better than what people thought going into the year. But yeah, looking at Tennessee and takeaways with this loss, this unexpected loss, to be honest, Tennessee, everything that had to go wrong for them to lose that game kind of did. Like Alabama shot 50% from three. Tennessee shot 19%. The three ball is a big part of basketball games and how you shoot. Tennessee is great defensively. And in the second half, they really, really defended well. The first half, it was it was eh. But the problem was, like, Eve Pons was out for, like, the whole first half. He picked up two early fouls, and he didn't come back on the floor. And it's pretty clear that Pons is the leader of that defense. And Tennessee is still great defensively without him, but they're on a whole different level with him. They're, they're now the number one defense on Ken Palm. And you saw Eve Pons come back in the second half, and he has five blocks in five minutes. It was just amazing like he he can guard smaller guards he he can guard bigger guys but like he just protects the rim and if he's not blocking shots he's still art, altering shots like when guards are going in there they're scared of him like he doesn't have to block it to affect the shot and that's what makes Eve Pond so good and then also like Tennessee it was it was more of offensive problems in this game because they were getting the stops they needed but they just couldn't score to capitalize they weren't making open shots but their guards also weren't getting a lot of dribble penetration. It was Their offense was a little stagnant, looked a little lost at times. And Jaden Springer got hurt in this game, didn't play in the whole second half. Jaden Springer's loss was probably a little more, uh, it hurt them more than I would have expected it to. But looking at it now, Jaden Springer probably is their best bucket getter on this team, even though he comes off the bench. But like when they bring him in, he's instant offense for them. He was a bucket in high school, and he's been a bucket getter on this team already. So hopefully James Springer's okay, and getting him back is clearly important for this team, and especially on the offensive side of the ball because they're obviously amazing defensively. It's just on the offensive side, they need to improve a little bit to hopefully reach their goals, which should definitely be a national championship because this Tennessee team is capable of a lot. All right, another Saturday game that I'm going to cover, getting past the Tennessee game. It was a 2 o'clock game on ESPN2. And Iowa won at the rack, beat Rutgers 77-75. A really impressive win in a game where Iowa only made seven threes. This team relies heavily on the three-point ball. Seven threes is not bad, but Iowa averages more than that. Keegan Murray, for them, continues to impress off the bench. The freshman for Iowa, he had 14 points off the bench. Iowa, early in that game, was struggling to stop Rutgers. Rutgers was getting downhill, downhill and kicking out to shooters and making shots. And then Iowa switched to zone later in the first half, and that really slowed Rutgers down. And they went back to that some in the second half, and it kind of stopped the Rutgers dribble penetration that was really working against them. And so that switching to zone for McCaffrey was a good move for them. If you look at a lot of these games, though, like Rutgers loses this game by two, you look at the free throw numbers and you see, oh, Rutgers shot four for 12 at the line. Like, the free throws, no, the free throw numbers in this game killed them. And you see that in a lot of games, like... if. A team that shoots really poor at the line, it often costs them the game at the end. And you can easily point that if free throw shooting for Rutgers, that costs them that game. Still credit to Iowa. That's a heck of a win. Ron Harper came back for Rutgers. He missed the game before that. So yeah, Iowa with a really impressive win. Because Rutgers is a really good basketball team. Another another big result on Saturday. Oklahoma beating West Virginia. Oklahoma beat West Virginia 75-71. Before the game, shortly before the game, Oscar Shibway, uh West Virginia's big man uh, starter for them, announced, well, he didn't announce, but West Virginia announced that he's stepping away from the program for personal reasons. Don't exactly know what's going on. So that was a big loss for West Virginia going into that game. So there's distractions with that, kind of having to adjust playing without Shibue. And so, I mean, I'm not going to take this loss worth too much. Oklahoma's a good basketball team, too. The story in this game was really Umaja uh, Gibson for Oklahoma who had 29 points and eight threes off the bench for them. It was a game where Austin Reeves and Brady Manick both struggled shooting the ball. Brady Manick really, really struggled, and they still came away with a win. So that was very encouraging for Oklahoma. It was a big win for them. Uh, we'll see how West Virginia and how their identity looks going forward without Shibway. They're going you know, a little bit smaller now, a little more of a 4-out-1-in look instead of with Culver and Shibway both playing high-low inside. So, yeah, we'll see what West Virginia looks like going forward. The truth is the Big 12 is also a gaunt- is also a gauntlet. It's not just the Big 10. Like the Big 12 is loaded. I mean, you even saw Iowa State gave B- give Baylor a run on Saturday. So like other than Kansas State, and Kansas State almost beat TCU on Saturday. So I mean, there's no nights off really in the Big 12. The Big 12 is a gauntlet, the Big 10 is a gauntlet. Both of those leagues are having historic seasons. And we have more Saturday results to get to. Next up, we have uh, the Missouri game. Missouri went uh, to Fayetteville and came away with a win, 81-68 over Arkansas. There's just so many Saturday games to get to. But uh, Missouri, yeah, looked really good. Arkansas was coming to this game undefeated. But, I mean, it was kind of like they hadn't played a lot of people, so we didn't really know what to expect exactly from Arkansas. But just like a couple hours. It might have only been an hour. I think it was one hour before the game. One of Arkansas's better players, and they're starting uh, power forward Justin Smith. They announced he's out three to six weeks with ankle surgery. So losing Justin Smith going into that game really hurt them. And then watching this game, it was just so much more evident how much it really did hurt them. Because okay, well, first of all, Missouri was coming off lost Tennessee. Good bounce back for them. But like looking at this game and what worked for Missouri and what hurt Arkansas and why Missouri won this game, it was just clear as day. It was all in the it was all in the pick and roll. They put Connor Vanover of Arkansas uh, defending ball screens. He was on Jeremiah Tillman and he could not uh, contain the guards. He was playing really soft and basically the guards just kept backing him up. Vanover's 7-3 if many of you don't know, but he he shoots 40% from three and he, he plays more like a guard. Like he's not he's not strong. He struggles defensively and it was it was very obvious on Saturday. I mean, Jeremiah Tillman just dominated. Vanover was getting lost. He wasn't recovering. And Tillman got a lot of just like dunks and layups off of uh, pick and rolls because Arkansas just really struggled. They went if they downshifted and kick it out to a shooter, Missouri hit some shots, but without Justin Smith, I mean, Arkansas kind of loses that physicality defensively. Now it's a bunch of guards and Connor Van over, and it's a little troublesome looking at Arkansas going forward. It looks like they're really going to struggle defending the basketball. They're still a gifted offensive team, but Missouri kind of exposed them defensively just by putting Connor Van over in ball screen after ball screen. And also, it was just the whole Arkansas team in ball screens. like They weren't playing on a string, and they just really, really struggled to stop Missouri. And so Missouri did win by 13 at Arkansas. It was an impressive win for them and a good bounce-back win from earlier in the week where they got kind of handled by Tennessee. Okay, moving on to Sunday couple big games Sunday that I want to talk about. First off, I want to talk about Michigan. Michigan dominates Northwestern 85-66. Michigan kind of played a non-con that was eh. They beat Central Florida, which ended up looking like a better win than it originally was. They beat them by 22, so they handled them early in the year. But Michigan now is sitting at 10-0. They're now 10th in the AP poll this week. And to be honest with you, Michigan looks like maybe the best, or they're at least one of the best passing teams in the country. And it is clear that they can compete for a Big Ten title up there with Iowa and Wisconsin. And I mean, there's a bunch of teams that are up there in the Big Ten. It's a difficult league this year. But looking at Michigan, like, they pass the ball excellently. I love that Hunter Dickinson, their center, 7-foot freshman, uh, passes out of doubles excellently. into shooters, he finds shooters, but he also scores inside well. He's a complete big man. Um, he's he's not necessarily quick like you couldn't switch him out on guards to be able to defend that to be, to be able to defend smaller guards, but he still does an excellent job passing the ball and that's what I'm most impressed with Hunter Dickinson. I like that uh, Franz Wagner just gives him so much versatility at six nine. He puts it on the ground and he can score. He shoots the ball and he can score. He defends like he can guard he can guard guards. He can guard bigs whatever they need him to do like you saw. Uh, against Northwestern they put him on Pete Nance so Hunter Dickinson didn't have to guard Pete Nance and that really helped them a lot because Dickinson wouldn't be able to stay in front of Nance Nance is too uh he's too skilled playing inside and outside so that helped like Wagner can kind of pick up on that where Dickinson can't necessarily guard a big who is uh, a little quicker than him a guy who can pull him out on the perimeter pull him away from the basket so Michigan just really looks like a a complete team I'm very impressed with them they looked excellent last night and they definitely can compete right up there at the top of the Big Ten. Another Big Ten game I'm going to cover on Sunday was Michigan-Ohio State game, or excuse me, the Minnesota-Ohio State game, where Minnesota had a really, really strong showing against Ohio State, and they won 77-60. to Minnesota now has wins over Iowa, Ohio State, and Michigan State. They dominated Ohio State and Michigan State. First off, what I want to talk about Minnesota is just Liam Robbins is one heck of a player. Liam Robbins for them, 7 foot big man, transfer from Drake. He shoots the 3 ball really well, and he can also score inside really well, but against uh, Ohio State, like his defensive impact was phenomenal. He made EJ Liddell, and EJ is a very good player. He made EJ Liddell look bad. EJ Liddell shot 3 for 11 in that game. Robbins made life so hard on him, and but like he, he blocked a bunch of shots in that game, but he also altered a bunch of shots. And, and like Dickinson, like I said like I said earlier about Dickinson, Robbins also passes the ball out of double teams really well. And Minnesota's backcourt to complement him is excellent. Like Marcus Carr, obviously, as you know, one of the best players in the country. But then Gok and uh, Gabe Kalsher are excellent as well. And Kalsher has been shooting the ball poorly. He's traditionally a much better shooter, but he shot uh, three for six from three last night which is a good sign for him going forward because he's kind of the lone piece that they've been missing this year. And then Brandon Johnson at the four is awesome as well. Like against Iowa, he had a bunch of threes. He had his coming out party. Brandon Johnson's a big physical guy, but he can also shoot the three ball, like I said. So they have a lot of versatility in this lineup. They have Marcus Carr, who's a guy that they can go to down the stretch and say, go get us a bucket when we need a bucket. So there's a lot to like Minnesota. They're excellent offensively. They're a, they're a good defensive team, but there's room for improvement on that end. I think Minnesota is an awesome team, and their showing against Ohio State last night was, was really amazing to see. All right, so I covered most of those weekend games now, and there's a lot of other notable results that I'm going to go over really quickly here because there were just so many games to go over, but it's hard to exactly dissect every single game because there's just so many games to go over. So I have a few other games that I want to talk about really quickly. First off on Sunday, also, we saw Houston beat SMU 74-60. to Houston, uh, Caleb Mills, the preseason American Player of the Year, uh, stepping away from the program for a little bit. They didn't exactly say why, but so he didn't play in this game. But Houston had the bounce-back win from earlier in the week where they lost to Tulsa. And Houston is really continuing to show that their identity comes on the defensive end. They looked really excellent defensively in this game and they have in prior games as well like against Tulsa it wasn't on the defensive end of the problem it was the offensive end their guards um, have been doing enough I think they have a lot of room for improvement they don't necessarily shoot the ball really well but they they, they drive the ball well and I think they need to use that ability to drive the ball that, so that they can eventually kick out to their other guards and hopefully knock down shots. Like it, They can get open shots. If they don't make open shots, I mean, so be it, but that's the shots you want. And Houston obviously isn't a great shooting team, but they still are very capable shooting the ball, and offensively they're capable as well. Justin Gorham had 19, point, or, sorry, 19 rebounds in that game. He's been an animal for them. I like Houston's versatility. They play two forwards who uh, can move very well and are very active out there with Bryson Gresham as well. So that, that was a good win for Houston. Is is SMU in my opinion is the second best team in the American. They they had to contain Kendrick Davis. Kendrick Davis got going at times for SMU. He's one of the more exciting guards to watch in the country. I mean, you saw at times they were doubling, and Kendrick Davis is just driving around out there, just dribbling away from him. But yeah, good win for Houston. Next up, I'm going to just touch on Baylor game. Baylor beat Iowa State 76-65. Baylor just could not get away from the Cyclones on Saturday. I mean, as many of you know, Iowa State's not too good of a basketball team, and they were right with them for most of that game. Like uh, Iowa State, Rasheer Bolton was kind of getting in the lane, and he was making plays for other people, and like Javon Johnson hit some shots for Iowa State, but Baylor turned the ball over a lot. Jared Butler had six turnovers in that game and they just didn't they didn't make shots at the same clip but it, it was obvious like Baylor still like even when they're not playing great offensively when they turn the ball over their defense will come through for them Davion Mitchell was putting so much pressure on Iowa State and Baylor just puts a lot of pressure on uh, you defensively anyway so Baylor escapes Iowa State on Saturday next up Creighton, uh, Creighton 67 65 over Providence that was kind of a crazy ending. Creighton was up four late, and then they end up, uh, Providence ends up tying it, and right when they tie it, Creighton quickly inbounds the ball. Zagorowski goes down the floor, passes it to Bishop. Bishop's the trailer, and Bishop gets a dunk with just less than a second left in the game, so Creighton ends up winning that game by two. They escape Providence. Providence is a solid team in the Big East. Um, another game, Oklahoma State pulls off the upset. They beat Texas Tech 82-77 in overtime in Lubbock as well. So it was an impressive win for Oklahoma State. Cade Cunningham kind of continues to struggle shooting the ball. He's he's had his moments this year. He's putting up good numbers. He's struggled. He's been a little inconsistent shooting the ball, and at times I think he needs to be a little more aggressive trying to score the ball, maybe take a few more shots for them. But nonetheless, that was an impressive win. In Lubbock over Texas Tech, scoring the ball on the on a Texas Tech defense that's been really good this year. So impressive showing for the Cowboys. Another another uh, notable result on Saturday was Oregon beating Stanford seventy three fifty six. Oregon's kind of looking like maybe it's the Pac twelve frontrunner and the in the team to beat in the Pac twelve going forward. Uh, and that's large part to UCLA losing Chris Smith for the season to a torn ACL. Huge. Uh, Huge news and disappointing news for the Bruins, as Chris Smith is arguably their best player, and that's uh, a big damper in, in the plans that UCLA is trying to accomplish this year. But Oregon does look like a great team. They lost in Folly Dante, but it's kind of made them more versatile. They don't play a traditional center anymore, and uh, Oregon's looking good. Uh, a couple more to go over here. I'm going to talk about the Florida game real quick. Florida beat 80, uh Florida beat LSU 83-79. Keontae Johnson was at was in the audience at this game, so that was cool to see. As his first game back since uh, the uh, the bad uh, incident that happened to Keontae, so that was good to see him back on the sideline, sitting there doing well. But Colin Castleton had 19 points in the second half for Florida, and that was huge. The transfer from Michigan, that was impressive to see. Clearly, Florida's not going away even without their preseason SEC Player of the Year. LSU continues to look a little bad on uh, a little poor on the defensive end. They didn't look great on that end of the floor. They clearly can score the ball. Cam Thomas can get buckets when he wants to. But, yeah, impressive win for Florida. Last uh, matchup I'm going to talk about on Saturday was the Kentucky game. Kentucky gets their second win of the year. They win in overtime at Mississippi State, 78-73. The storyline from that game, as many of you know, uh, Dante Allen. Dante Allen came off the bench, hit seven threes. Terrence Clark wasn't playing in this game. Terrence Clark was hurt, and so Dante Allen got his chance, hit seven threes. As many of you know, the problem with Kentucky has been shooting the ball, not being able to score the ball this year. They bring in Dante Allen, and he gives instant offense for them, and it wasn't just seven threes. He was hitting some of the the biggest shots of the game and biggest moments for them. So... Really impressive performance from Dante Allen. I'm sure Calipari will continue to play him, and we'll see. Maybe you plug him in the starting lineup. Because the truth is, they need some offense bad right now. With that being said, that'll be the conclusion of my podcast today. Thank you guys for listening. It was a really exciting weekend of basketball, and I was excited to go over what happened with you guys. If you guys wouldn't mind uh, giving me a five-star rating or giving me a review, or uh, subscribing on iTunes or, subscri- or following on Spotify, whatever whatever you guys listen to this on. I'd really appreciate that, and it just helps for my podcast to get out there a little more to the general public. But again, thank you guys for listening. I'll be back with you guys soon for another College Youth Mania podcast, and take care. I'll see you guys later.